Ignition sequence start. Six, five, four, three, two, one, zero. All engine running. Liftoff. We have a liftoff. 32 minutes past the hour. Liftoff on Apollo 11. Welcome to Space 3D and the conclusion of our interview with space historian and policy analyst Dwayne Day. Day is a senior program officer for the Aeronautics and Space Engineering Board of the National Research Council, National Academy of Sciences, where he has served as a study director on studies concerning NASA's aeronautics flight research capabilities, the planetary exploration program, the size of the astronaut corps, the threat of asteroids striking Earth, NASA workforce skills, radiation hazards to astronauts on long-duration flights, U.S. Air Force astrodynamics standards, and other projects. He previously served as a program officer on the Space Studies Board and served as an investigator for the Columbia Accident Investigation Board. He has also written extensively on the history of American satellite reconnaissance. In this episode, we focus on two fascinating stories about the intersection of Skylab with the National Reconnaissance Office and wrap things up with the question we've all wanted to ask. Has all this work with declassified history ever resulted in a midnight visit from some men in black? We hope you enjoyed this episode. Well, there was an interesting little anecdote on the Wikipedia page about Something about Skylab and taking pictures of Groom Lake and some controversy about that. And I'm wondering if you can tell us a little bit about that, because a, a podcast with Emily Carney would not be complete if we could not talk about Skylab. <laughs> right. Yeah. So I'm I, I'm reaching back in my memory on this. There's actually some interesting stories about uh, reconnaissance and Skylab. And I know the the one you're referring to is the astronauts, and I forget which one of the the missions it was, but the astronauts were were going to take a lot of uh, photographs of the Earth, and they were very specifically told not to photograph Groom Lake or Area 51, as it's often referred to, uh, because the uh, the CIA and the Air Force have long had a an airfield there where they test top secret aircraft. That's where the U-2 was first tested. That's where the the predecessor to the SR-71, uh, which was called the Oxcart, um, the A-12 Oxcart, uh, that was tested at Groom Lake. And there were a lot of drone programs that were tested there in the 1960s and the 1970s. Very little is known about the drone programs. And it's still an active base. It's st- and if you go out there, you go out in the desert, and you go up to a certain point, you will see signs that will say, if you go beyond this sign, you will be arrested, and you may be shot. So, you know, don't do that. It's a bad idea. So the astronauts, uh, they were told, do not take any pictures of of this area. And then they did. They actually took some pictures. I cannot remember the specifics. You'd have to go looking through my article. But then the problem was, I believe the film came back to the ground and it was being processed. And as they were looking through this uh, this film, they realized, the, the people who were processing the film, realized that they had photographed an area that was not supposed to be photographed. And then the question within NASA was, 
what should we do? Should we, because the photographs, all of them were going to be released. And so if they released a whole bunch of photographs and then frame 53 was missing, people might notice that. And ultimately what they did was they just publicly released everything and nobody noticed. So that photograph, I think, was like put in the National Archives or whatever. And nobody actually noticed that until years later. But I, I had found a document, a declassified document that referred to the fact that this had happened. And so I thought that was really interesting. There's a story about Skylab that I find really fascinating. Uh, and we still don't have all of the information about this. But when the workshop was first launched, it suffered an accident. So the uh, I forget exactly what happened, but part of the insulation tore off during launch and it ripped off one of the solar panels. So Skylab, it got into orbit, and they knew immediately that they had a problem. And the the temperatures inside of Skylab were going up very high because it because this insulation was missing. The the NASA flight controllers early on thought that they were that it was a disaster. They thought that they were going to lose the the, uh, the spacecraft. So they stabilized it a little bit. And then the question was, well, could the first crew that went up there, could they do something to rescue Skylab? Could they uh, fix it in some way? And what they really needed was a good assessment of what the damage was. And they could not get that all from telemetry. So it turned out that the National Reconnaissance Office, they were operating this very high-resolution satellite called the Gambit. And Gambit used uh, film. Uh, the film was about nine inches in uh, width, and they, it was on a roll, and I don't know how many thousands of feet of film they had inside this camera. And then it would go through the camera, and it would be wound up on another roll inside of a, a small reentry vehicle, and that reentry vehicle would, be, would pop off and come back to Earth. It turned out that just not too long before the Skylab mission happened, that some people in the Air Force had developed the ability to use Gambit to photograph other satellites. And this was a very, very difficult thing to, to figure out. It's all computer programming. You know, you have to figure out where the Gambit is in its orbit, which way it's pointing, and then which way the target is. Uh, how fast it's moving, and then you have to point the gambit at that other that other spacecraft, and then you have to compensate for the fact that it's moving um, so that the image would smear. And so they came up with uh, algorithms to al enable this to, to happen, and they had done that uh, in the early 1970s, I don't know, 72 or something like that. And because that part of the gambit program is still classified. So I'm not sure of a, of a lot of aspects of that. So I'm not sure if it had ever been tried before Skylab. But what happened was when Skylab ran into its problems, the people who had a who were operating Gambit, who had a Gambit satellite in orbit at that time, offered their services to NASA. And they said, we can take a picture of Skylab and assess the damage. And so that's what they did. It was all very top secret. The film came down, was processed. It may have been shown to the astronauts, 
Um, I don't know about that. The astronauts would not have had the highest level clearances, but maybe somebody made a decision that this is so important that we're going to waive that requirement now. So they did an assessment. They figured out what was broken on Skylab, the configuration of the remaining solar panel, things like that. And then the astronauts went up there and fixed it. So that, if you know the the issues around security and the issues around uh, orbital dynamics and and all of that, this was a pretty amazing thing to pull off so quickly. And it was successful. Photograph is still highly classified. I don't expect to see it anytime soon. But uh, Emily asked at the beginning of this, like, how do I do research? And that was an example. That was a case where it, it was very funny. Um, back in like 1996 or so, uh, I was at a space conference, and this was a one-day uh, space history symposium. And I went there uh, with Jonathan McDowell, who a number of you may have may be familiar with his name. And Jonathan's an, a longtime friend of mine. And we went to this conference together. It was, I think it was at Andrews Air Force Base outside of Washington. And we were sitting there and people were telling, you know, they were having panel discussions. They were talking about different programs they had worked on and things like that. And this was an unclassified setting. You know, members of the public were there. So, uh, and this general gets up and he tells the story about taking a photograph of Skylab. And, and this is, and he's telling this, he never used the word gambit because gambit was still classified. This was like 1996 or 97 when we went to this and gambit was not declassified until 2011. But he tells this story about using a national reconnaissance satellite to do this to, and Jonathan and I are sitting there and we're looking at each other and we're smiling because we know he is not supposed to be talking about this, you know, mm-hmm. but, but my guess is, He's like, you know, 78. What are they going to do? Fire him? You know, he's been retired for 20 years. So uh, so that's how that story initially uh, came out. Wow, that's fascinating. I'm surprised, though, that it's still. Why would it still be classified if, you know, Skylab's no more? I mean, does it have something to do with revealing the resolution capability of the of Gambit at the time? I, I don't know why it would still be classified. So the ability to use one satellite to photograph another satellite, um, that's something that has long been called uh, the the term that they used, at least back in the, the 70s or so, was called sat squared for satellite squared. And that was really one of the most classified capabilities of reconnaissance satellites. So even though they released the information about the fact that satellites take pictures of stuff on the ground, they did not want to talk about the fact that they, they could use satellites to photograph other satellites. Mm-hmm. Uh, so that still remains. And now some of this stuff you discover when you write about this stuff for as long as I have is that there are a lot of capabilities that are now in the civilian world that have been available commercially for decades that are still classified within, you know, the, the national security world. So you can find, it's not that hard, you know, you can look these things up on the internet. You can find examples of commercial satellites that have taken pictures of other satellites in orbit. 
And that's been, you know, they've been released for a long time. But the NRO still will not admit that they can do this. They will not admit that they could do this 45 years ago. So. Hmm. Fascinating. Well, I have one last question. So we're talking all about, you know, all this research that you've done with formerly classified information. Have you ever been visited by any men in black at 2 a.m.? With, you know, you really shouldn't have uncovered that or you're, you're digging a little too deep here, Wayne, you know, need to back off. No, I'm a civilian. I don't have a security clearance. I do not have any restrictions on what, you know, what I'm supposed to write about or what I'm allowed to write about. We live in a country that has the First Amendment. So, uh, no, that, that hasn't happened. Most of the stuff I write about has been uh, declassified, so I don't think it's that big a deal. Um, there are people within who work in, in that realm who believe that nobody should talk about it at all, but there's nothing that prevents people, you know, from people from writing about it. Like I, I mentioned William Burroughs when he wrote his book back in the mid 1980s, uh, all this stuff was still classified and, you know, he still wrote a book because like, like I said, we have a first amendment. You can write about that. Um, if you look at the long history of classification in the United States, and this is certainly true for other countries as well, uh, but classification has been used to hide some things that the government should not have been doing. And there are examples of people who exposed uh, secrets uh, that ultimately, you could say it, it helped democracy. It helped um, re helped hold our, our leadership accountable and to improve the way we improve the way democracy works. So just because something has been classified does not mean that the classification is justified. A lot of times it is, but like I said, you can, you can find lots of examples in history where a stamp was placed on something and it never should have been there. Best example being many aspects of the Pentagon papers exposed in the early 1970s. Yeah. Um, the fact that, uh, American leaders lied all the way through the Vietnam War. Even from the beginning, they knew that there were, their chances of success in that war were really, really low. But they went out in front of the public and told them that we were winning. That was classified. And then somebody exposed it and said, hey, guess what? They've been lying to you all along. Wow. This was, this was fascinating. I'm so glad we had a chance to talk to you this evening. I really appreciate yeah. it. Same. And uh, thank you for agreeing to talk to us tonight. This was, uh, I thought it was a lot of fun. We hope you enjoyed this episode of Space 3D. Remember, Space 3D is available on most podcast platforms. Thanks for listening. 